Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Hey, like, check this out. Let's be honest. You can rap every word of that song, can't you? <laughs> Seriously, that's what I'm talking about, man. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for hanging out with us. First Sunday of uh, 2016. Uh, I want to share something with you. We're going to throw it back with this new series to what God originally called our church to do four years ago when we launched Revo Church. We're going to throw it back to that vision. We're going to throw it back over the next couple of weeks to the core values of how we're going to accomplish that vision. And I'm going to be honest with you, I want want to use some verbiage today that you may not be comfortable with, that you may, uh, upon initially hearing it, you may think, "Uh, this guy's crazy, man. Like, (laughs) what is he talking about? I just don't believe it. But just here, check this out. Just, Just hear me out. Because four years ago, God called us to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. And I believe that mission can change the world. I believe that. I believe that the people in this room right now can change the world. I believe that you can change the world. As you look back over history, it's easy to see people that actually change the world. You're talking about Thomas Edison and Benjamin Franklin. We talk about Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Susan B. Anthony, Rosa Parks. So many people uh, way back in the realms of history changed the very world that we know it. But let, let's, let's just think about our lifetime, maybe the lifetime of some of the people that are in this room and, and listening online. Uh, let, let's just throw it back. Let, let me start by this. Throw it back to 1977 uh, by a, a guy by the name of Raymond uh, Damadian invented something called the Magnetic Resonance Imaging System. Now, in the medical community, that is known as an MRI. Right? So up until this point, if you had something wrong with you or you didn't feel very well on the inside, the doctor would have to cut you open and just see. Right? Like, we don't know what it is. Let's just cut you open and kind of piddle around in there and see what's wrong with you. That was exploring what was wrong with people. And until we had an MRI machine, we were never able to see the inside, not just bones of an x-ray, but soft tissue like organs. And in 1977, the MRI machine was used for the very first time to diagnose a patient with cancer, even having uh, no exploratory surgery, not having to do any kind of cutting in. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been saved as a result, just in America as a result of the MRI machine. This guy changed the world. Let's throw it back to 1980, still before I was born, but maybe not some of you if you're a little older than I am. Uh, 1980, there was a 13-year-old girl by the name of Carrie Leitner of Fair Oaks, California. She was walking down the side of the road on her way to a church carnival when a car swerved out of control, struck her, and killed her right there on the spot. Her mom showed up. Her name is Candy Leitner, of whom you see in the photo right here. And she asked the police officer, what's going to happen to the man that struck my child, and they found out that the man was uh, under the influence of alcohol, and actually a week prior, he had been in another altercation behind the wheel of a car due to alcohol, and the police officer sadly admitted to her, probably nothing is going to happen to him, because the uh, rules of alcohol in a car are not really strictly enforced. And so in 1981, Candy Leitner decided she would do something about it, and she founded an organization called Mothers Against Drunk Driving. 
at the very expense of her own daughter. And since 1981, alcohol-related fatalities on the road have decreased 55%, cut in half, because this woman stood up and in MAD, as it's called, M-A-D-D, is known as one of the most effective charitable nonprofit organizations in our country. This woman changed the world back in 1981. Let's throw it back again. This guy right here, his name is Tim Berners-Lee. In 1989, nerd alert, this guy invented the internet. He invented the uh, first server, he made the very first website, and he reinvented how we exchange digital information in the world. And he called this new invention the World Wide Web, or WWW for short. Anytime you get on the internet, you throw a shout-out to Tim Lee right here. You throw a shout-out to the guy every time you update your social media, every time you Google something, it's a result of this. This guy changed the world. All of these people changed the world. So I got a question to ask you this morning. Do you think you can change the world? Do you? Now, sadly, the majority of the people in this room, whether you like to admit it or not, just answered no to that question. The majority of the people in the world do not believe that they can actually change the world. The answer is no. Well, we got a lot of excuses for it, Nathan. I don't have enough money to change the world. It takes money to change the world. Uh, I don't have enough power to change the world. I don't have enough time to change the world. <laughs> like, I barely have enough time to change my kids' diapers, much less change the world. Like, I'm just, I don't have a lot of time. Maybe your profession, like you may be saying, I'm not a doctor. I'm not doing cancer research. I'm not an inventor that's going to be able to, to, to make something that is going to change the world. I just, like, I wasn't born into the right family. I'm, I'm a little bit too old. Maybe if I was 25 again, maybe I could think about changing the world world, but I'm, I'm a little bit older now, and so I, I, just, I, I just don't believe that I can change the world, whatever reason behind it. You're not smart enough, don't have enough money, don't have enough time, don't have an interest maybe even to change the world. The majority of the people sadly believe that they can't change the world, and you may listen to a statement like, we're going to change the world. Like, it's really sexy to say, right? Like, what are you going to do this year? Change the world, right? I want to change the world. I want to impact everybody around me. I'm going to do something big and exciting with my life. And a lot of people may say that, but deep down they don't really believe it. They don't believe that they can change even their world, much less the world. But here's the reason why I'm so confident that you can change the world and that I can change the world. Because over 2,000 years ago, when the New Testament church was birthed, they began to change the world. What started out as two men in the book of Acts, Peter and John, that were leading this church has now, 2,000 years later, morphed into over 2 billion people in the world today claim to be followers of Jesus. And i got to tell you, the same power that helped them is the same Holy Spirit power that we have today. The mission is the same. The methods have changed a little bit, but Jesus is the same. Lostness is the same. Like, if God can change the world through two regular, unschooled, ordinary men like Peter and and John, and morph this into a movement of two billion people, then why can't he use you? Why can't he use us to change the world? It's a question that we've got to wrestle with. Uh, with the, in the early days, two men surrounded by a group of Christians that made up the local church knew that they had what it took to change the world. So do we have that same concept? Do you think you can change the world? Well, I think you can. I think we can because it's been done before and we're just the church and just the group of people to be able to do it. So I want to share with you three things that you're going to need. If you want to be a world changer, 
If you want to change the world and you believe that you can actually do it, I want to share with you three things that it's going to take um, from Scripture. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today, the first 20 verses of Ephesians chapter 5. And this actually gives us a great blueprint for how you and I are going to change the world. Are you ready for this? The first thing that it's going to take for us to change the world is this. We have to have a purpose. Number one, have a purpose. In, in Ephesians 5, verse 1, it reads like this. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. It's the first week of January, and now is the time that people are, are writing out their New Year's resolutions. Ultimately, what a New Year's resolution is, is you're answering the question, who do you want to be in 2016? Uh, who do you want to be financially? You'll write down some goals of how much money you want to save or how you want to get a promotion to make more money. Who will you be professionally? Maybe you want to change jobs or get a promotion or be a manager or move up in a company. Who do you want to be educationally? Maybe you want to go back to school. Maybe you want to finish school. Maybe you want to, to, to start another degree on top of the school that you already have. Who are you going to be maritally, right? Do you want to get married this year? Uh, maybe you want to start dating someone this year, and that's a, a goal that you have. Who, who do you want to be as a family? You want to, you want to try to have children this year? You want to start your family? You want to add another one to the family? Uh, what, what is it that you want to be um, professionally? What is it you want to be physically? We set goals. Hey, I need to lose 20 pounds. I need to bulk up. I need to go to the gym, start lifting weights more because I want to be this person in 2016 physically. We, we begin to define all those in our New Year's resolutions, but ultimately it's our purpose. What is your purpose for 2016. Who do you want to be? What are you going to focus on as you begin to, to set these goals? But the purpose that God has called us to in, in this passage is, listen, not, not, not going to just change your world, but it changes the world. See, your New Year's resolutions can change your world, right? They change your family, your finances, your dreams, your goals, your desires, your bank account. It can change your world, but what about changing the world? If we look at these first two verses, you're going to realize that God has called us not to just change our world, but he's put us here in the world to change the world around us. And how are we going to change the world? Here's what scripture says, be imitators of God. That's our purpose. Do you have a purpose? You want to change the world? Here's how we're going to do it. Be imitators of God. So what does that mean, right? Does that mean be our own God? Like just try to be a little God, imitate God in, in what way? Well, verse 2 begins to articulate what that looks like. He says, let your life be marked by love and sacrifice. Just like God loved you just like he sent his son Jesus to sacrifice for you, being imitators of God means your life will be marked and dominated by love and selfless sacrifice for others. Now, I want to challenge you on something. What if the people in this room made a commitment in 2016 that your life would be marked by love and selflessness and sacrifice for others? Can you imagine what would change? Can you imagine the impact? that you would have around your life, where you work, play, eat, study, and shop? 
Can you imagine if you decided today, one of my purposes and goals in life, my purpose of living in 2016 is to be an imitator of God, to let my life look like him, to be filled with love and selfless sacrifice for others. Do you understand what kind of revolution that could spark, not only in your life, but in the lives of others around you? Can you imagine what your neighborhood would look like, what your family and friends would look like, what your office would look like if you let that be your purpose, to imitate God in what we've been called to do. So here's my, here's my challenge. Here's, here's how you change the world in 2016. You need to figure out right now what you're all about. What's your purpose? What are you going to live for? Uh, my dad once told me, Nathan, you can only be great at one or two things, so you got to choose what you want to be great at. And when you make a decision in 2016 to be great at something, man, I hope it's to be a great imitator of God because that will ultimately change the world. You can be great at a few other things that could change your world, but God has called us to change the world. And it starts with us having a purpose. God's given us a purpose being imitators of God. And I'm telling you, if we embrace that as a body individually and as a church family, we'll change the world will change the world. Let's keep reading in verse, nine, uh, verse 3. Here's the second thing. Number one, you got to have a purpose as a church and as an organization. But number two, you got to have a problem, right? So we have a purpose and we have a problem. Why do we have to have a problem? Like, that sounds bad. Like, my, my goal for 2016 is to not have problems. Um, here's, here's what Scripture says. we got to have a problem. Uh, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and what is right in what is true. I'm a firm believer of this. There, there's no way you're going to have a better 2016 until you take a moment to evaluate your 2015. So we got to take time to figure out what went wrong so that we can formulate a solution to make it right. But if you don't take a step back and identify the problem, if you don't look back and think what went wrong, what's broken, what's messed up, then you'll never be able to fix it. You'll never be able to make a, a maximum impact on the people around you and in your life if you're not willing to first evaluate what went wrong. And the church is no different. Here's what Scripture calls us to do. We have to stop and look around us. What's the problem? What is the problem in our city? What is the problem in the friends and family that we interact with? What, what, is, what is the problem that we're facing? Because here's, here's what I'll tell you. If you'll take a moment just to look around, if you'll take a moment to just stop and evaluate and look at what's going on around us, you'll begin to notice the problem. See, a danger zone that the church can sometimes get into is when we begin to treat this gathering as a country club where members assemble and we care about our needs and our desires and our goals and our wants, then slowly we lose sight 
of the real problem and just get caught up in our small little world. When the church begins to be inwardly focused, when the church begins to think everything's going good here, like there is no problem, it seems to be doing well. Let me share with you, I'll just shoot you straight. Uh, Revo Church launched four years ago and in 2015 we had our highest attended Sunday ever. We've grown year over year in all categories since we launched. In 2015 we had our highest attended Sunday. In 2015 we uh, had our highest giving Sunday. If you take the average of both of those in 2015 it's been bigger the average than all the other years. Um, we baptized more people in 2015 than we ever had. We, we reached more people, six services on two different campuses in two languages, one church, all being able to accomplish that. We had more people in groups than we've ever had in 2015. We had more people go all in in 2015 than we've ever had in the history of our church. Like 2015 was a banner year, all right? Like that's good. Like, I'm excited about that. All, all implications would show that Revo is great, it's healthy, this is a cool thing to be a part of. Did you know that 80% of churches in America are either plateaued or declining? So that puts Revo in the top 20% of churches in the nation. What? You didn't even know that. Like, you didn't even know. You're a big deal, man. Top 20% of churches in the, the nation. So that seems pretty good, right? It seems pretty good until you stop and recognize the problem. If you're just looking in here and what's going on, we're like, hey, this is awesome. God's blessing it. God's doing incredible things. We're seeing things that we've never seen before. And very easily we can say, hey, things are going great at my church. And it's really happening at my church. And a lot of people coming to my church. And a lot of giving in my church. And we're sending people out. And we're giving away a lot of money. And we're able to accomplish a lot of things at my church. And, and what we got to do is back up and don't forget the problem. I'm going to share this story. I may get in trouble for it, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, I was hanging out with a group of pastors about a month ago uh, from North Carolina, and uh, one of the pastors in the room, his, his church got put on a list of the fastest-growing churches in America. Uh, they, were, they were in the top 15, and um, everybody in the room was kind of, you know, patting him on the back and telling him, man, that's awesome. What are you doing? What's the formula? And um, it, it, it got, like, everybody was just kind of taking turns, and it got around to me. Um, and uh, so a group of pastors in the room, and, and uh, one of the guys said, you know, Nathan, what do you, what do you think about that? And um, I took a deep breath, and I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And you could hear a pin drop in the, that room. Like, I don't know, is there an unwritten rule that pastors can't say stupid or what? Because <laughs> that's stupid. Uh, that's a stupid rule. Um, if there's an unwritten rule book, I need to know because I'm probably breaking all of them. But I just, and like, you could just hear a pin drop in that room. I said, man, let me ask you a question. You're in a city of over 300,000 people. And you got 1,000 people coming to your church on a Sunday. And you're patting yourself on the back over that? You're reaching less than one-half of one percent of your city, and you want me to tell you good job? You forgot the problem. Your city is dying and going to hell, and you're fired up about a thousand people that come to your services on a weekend? You lost, man. <laughs> like, you lost. You forgot the problem. You forgot what was going on outside of your church walls. That's the, your church is the fastest growing church. That's stupid. 
The problem isn't churches aren't growing fast enough. The problem is light is not penetrating the darkness fast enough. Those dudes, they never call me to hang out again. I don't know why I haven't been back. So, um, 2015 was a banner year for Revo Church. And if you're looking inside those four walls, you can say, wow, boom, man, top 20%. People are calling us and saying, like, how are you guys doing it? You went multi-site and you launched a service in Spanish and, like, you're growing on both campuses and during this economy you're doing that. And, like, they'll, they'll come in and observe a service just to see what it looks like. And, and I'm like, hey, hey, you want to go out those doors? Because when I go out those doors, I see a city that's lost and broken. I see friends and family of mine that are not in this church, that don't go to any church, that don't know Jesus. They're stuck in the darkness. Identify the problem. If we're not willing to come to grips with the problem that is lostness and darkness in our city, then we will be apt to stand in this room and give ourselves accolades while the rest of the people that are far from God die and are separated from him. Identify the problem. In these verses, it just articulates. It says, hey, here's the problem. You've got sexual immorality. You've got greed. You've got covetedness. You've got darkness instead of the light. And if you look into our city, into our communities, like that's what you see. I hope you'll leave here and open up your eyes to the problem because until you identify the problem, you will never have any urgency about the gospel message. Until you're broken over your friends and family and neighbors that don't know Jesus, then you'll never have any purpose. You'll never be broken over the problem that is facing us. So in, 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 in this idea of the problem that we have, like please, please don't just look back on 2015 and say, everything's good, we're growing, and goals are being met, and steps are being taken, and we've seen so many people give their life to Jesus, and we've seen so many people being baptized, and we're just, just trying to kill it on the, on the church planning front, but... It's very clear here in this text that there's a, there's a problem, that we live in a world that is a slave to sexual immorality, to greed, to covetedness. Man, once you find your purpose, that you're an imitator of God, then you need to come to grips with the problem that the church is facing today. And in our city, it is absolutely a huge problem. Number three, here's how we change the world. We have plan. Uh, we have a, pr- a purpose. I'm sorry. We have a purpose. Be imitators of God. We identify the problem that is around us, that is darkness and lostness in the city. And, and finally, number three, we have a plan. Uh, we have a plan. I love that scripture gives us the plan. We don't have to make up the plan or come up with it on our own. It's, it's right here in verse 10. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Verse 15, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the plan. 
That's our purpose. Be imitators of God, the problem we've identified as, lo- as lostness. But you got to be careful. I want to I make sure that we don't take this out of context here. In verse 11 specifically, Scripture says, When you see darkness, call it out. Expose sin and darkness for what it is. Now let me, let me explain to you what that is not. Okay, God is not instructing us here that Christians in the church are supposed to run into the darkness when we see darkness all around the world. And it's like stepping into a dark room. All of a sudden, the Christian walks in and flips the light on, and you catch somebody doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. And you look at them, it's like, boom, caught you. Woo, God, come here and look at what they're doing. When he gets here, you are going to fry like bacon. It's going to be crazy. You should have never done that, man. You're hosed. You're absolutely hosed. So that's not what he means. He says, when you see darkness, call it out and expose it. Here's what it means. God has not called us to be the moral police officer that busts people that are sin addicts and and calls them out and embarrasses them and hauls them off to spiritual jail. He's actually called us to be spiritual lifeguards that are pleading with people to stay away from the danger that are actually willing to to leave the beach and jump into the darkness to save people that are drowning in it. Exposing the darkness means confronting someone's sin and say, hey, you know what, I noticed that you're chasing something. You're chasing meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction. You're chasing purpose in your life, and I noticed that you're chasing it in all the wrong places. I notice you think some of the things that you're doing are going to bring you some kind of fulfillment and satisfaction in life eventually. And the reason why I can see this so well is because I used to be just like that. I used to be chasing the darkness. And I'll be honest with you, it leads to a dead end. It's all vanity. I was chasing the darkness just like you were until one day someone showed me what the light was. Someone showed me how much better the light is than the darkness. Someone proved to me that purpose and meaning and significance and real power is found in the light and not whatever it is you're chasing in the darkness. So I want to, I just want to, <laughs> my heart goes out to you because you're spinning your wheels in the darkness and my life has been changed by the light and so I gotta share that with you. See the difference in that? A lot of difference in fry like bacon and come to the light. There's a lot of difference in, I can't believe you did that. You're so messed up and sinful and stupid. And, hey, my life was just like that until I found Jesus, and I'd love the opportunity to talk with you about him. That's the plan. That's the plan that's articulated in verse 15. It says, just gives us some simple instructions. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, man, it's an opportunity for us to start right here. You know where world changing starts? It starts right here. It starts personally. It starts in our lives. Hey, you, be careful how you live. You, be careful how you talk. You, be careful what you do, how you carry yourself around people that are in the darkness. Again, we're trying to show a contrast here, right? We're trying to show how much better the light is than the darkness is. The problem with a lot of Christians is, like, when when non-Christians look at the light, they're like, that light, I don't want to have anything to do with it, if that's what you're going to be like, if that's how you sound, if that's what you do, if that's how mean you are, and and all that, then I I don't want to have anything to do with the light. But we're showing them the light in contrast to the darkness. 
we're giving them the hope that is in the light, and we do that by living a certain way. We do that by carrying ourselves above reproach, living in that aspect. We're contrasting the light in the dark. You can't change everything at once, but you can start somewhere, right? You can start with you. You can start with your life. As you think about how 2016 is going to unroll, you can think about what you need to do personally to be able to be obedient to verse 15. Verse 16, listen to this, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days, these last days here on earth. You may have opportunities every day to change the world. Did you know that? You and I have opportunities every day to live out the purpose and to understand the problem and to implement the plan. I hope your life isn't so busy in 2016 that you miss opportunities. I hope that you're not trying to be another person or another purpose and chasing that so hard that you miss the plan that God has for you. The people that are in your life that are far from him that need to know the gospel message, that need to be impacted by the same thing that you've been impacted by. Scripture goes on and says, you know how you're going to do this? You're going to live a life of thankfulness. You're going to live a life of gratitude. Instead of grumbling and complaining and tearing other people down, you're going to be thankful. You're going to elevate God instead of tearing people down. You're going to keep highlighting how good he is, what he's done in your life. Shine the light. Shine the light. Let the light penetrate the darkness. That's the game plan that Scripture gives us. Here's a game plan that will change the world. You ready? When you and I decide to live out what we claim to believe, that'll change the world. When you and I decide that we're just not going to talk it and preach it and read it, but we're going to live it, that will change the world. That will allow the light to penetrate the darkness. You want to know how I know? Because it's happened so many times before. You want to know why I'm so confident that you and I can change the world? Because it's happened so many times before. But here's the deal. A belief without action is nothing. Like, it's a good idea at best, right? That's why I don't care about what you believe in. I care about what matters the most that's going to move you into action. A lot of Christian belief in the church today, too little Christian action, too little love, too little sacrifice and selflessness. And so the darkness is looking at the light and being like, really, it isn't all that appealing. (laughs) It doesn't look like you guys are a club I want to be a part of. I might as well just stay over here but we're creating a a contrast. A belief that's not put into action is just a good idea. Let me me prove to you that we can change the world. In the year 40 AD, just seven years after Jesus died, there were a thousand Christians on the face of the earth. That made up 0.007% of the population of the Roman Empire. Fast forward to the year 340, almost 300 years after that point, and there are 34 million Christians in the world. Just in 300 years, 1,000 turned into 34 million. That's over half of the world's population in 300 years became followers of Christ. There were no large buildings. There were no programs. There were no preachers on Sunday morning. There were no public churches It was individuals like you and me deciding we have a plan, we have a purpose, and there's a problem. And those thousand people changed the world in 300 years. 
In the 1960s, there were over 2 million Christians in China. A very bloody communist regime moved in. They shut down all of the churches, made it illegal to worship Jesus. They killed most of the missionaries and sent the rest out back home. A few years later, about 20 years later, China opened their doors again for Christian missionaries to come in. And the missionaries that came in said, I, I don't really know what to expect. I, like, we didn't know what we were going to come in contact with when we showed back up in China. Where Would there be a church? Would, would there be any openness to the gospel? You know what they found 20 years later in, in the 1960s before China was shut down? They found 2 million Christians. 25 years later, they showed up and they were over 6 million believers. Illegal. Worshiping underground, in the middle of the night, singing by candlelight. No buildings, no legal Christianity, no missionaries, no programs. Today in China, there are over 8 million Christians. They changed the world. The church changed the world with the very same mission, the very same power, the very same purpose. What, what did they have? They had a purpose, they had a problem, and they had a plan. And with that, they changed the world. Here's our purpose. Be imitators of God in everything that you do. Live a life filled with love and selfless service and sacrifice, just like Jesus showed us how to live. Here's the problem. We live in a city that is desperately in the darkness. They need the light. They need the hope. They need salvation, not in a fry-like-bacon way, but in a, hey, can I show you how much better the light is than the darkness? Because if you check this out, if you check out the light, I'm telling you, you'll leave the darkness just like that when you see how good Jesus is, when you see how much God loves you, when you see the desire he has for you in your life. And here's the plan. Be careful how you live. Don't act like fools, but live in a case of wisdom. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord has called you to do. That is how Revo Church will spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. That is how you and I change the world.